Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for letting me be your vessel to present this, this message. I ask that you anoint my lips and that my, my words may be clear and audible. But most of all, Lord, may you be glorified. And I give thanks in Jesus' name. A race of life. A few months ago, I had the opportunity to drive to that beautiful province of Nova Scotia to visit my brother in Christ, Charlie Perdue. Charlie and his wife Brenda and Alyssa came to this church many times prior to them moving to Nova Scotia. While I was there, I was privileged to visit a small museum which at one time some years ago was a church. The church was, the podium was there, the rostrum was there, and there was a, a Bible on the rostrum, and there was a few seats out front. But around the perimeter of the church, there was much artifacts. And, and as I was exploring, I discovered a plaque commemorating the life of a fallen soldier in the First World War, who at the age of 21 gave his life for his country. The plaque read, and it really caught my attention, and I was touched by it, and it said, Servant of God, well done. Thy glorious warfare passed. The battle fought. The race is won and thou art crowned at last. This is very reminiscent of what the Apostle Paul said near the end of his life. He said, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. But it goes on further to say, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to those who loved his appearing, found in Second Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8. The Christian life is often described as a race. Yes, a race designed by God, and in it we are called to fulfill his purpose for us. That is, we are to be conformed to Christ's likeness and bring glory to our God and Heavenly Father. To run the race, we need to know the route, don't we? The Bible serves as a map a compass, and a guidebook. It's an infallible manual for godly living which is needed in our culture of, of, contradictory, of contradictory voices, all of which claim to be the truth. To complete the race, we need inspiration and correction. Scripture provides both through the true accounts of 
of biblical personalities. Some of us are like King Saul who answered God's call and began the race in strong fashion, as you can remember. Correction is likely if we, if we lose our focus on God's agenda and become immersed in worldly ways. Others of us are like the Apostle Paul who lived an ungodly life years before his salvation. His life inspires us to persevere and embrace the Lord's plan with growing passion. During the race, we will encounter obstacles, which we must persevere for sure. Some of these hindrances might include criticism from believers and or non-believers, oppositions to our stand for Jesus Christ and periods of loneliness and uncertainty when the way isn't all that clear. The Holy Scriptures strengthen us as we study God's character and timeless promises. Are you running the race well? Am I running the race well? Did we ever think once that the race wasn't for us? Remember that Christ, who is our very life, always runs with us. And we can be encouraged through the scriptures. Why then is life like a race? Why? Firstly, life is like a race because it has a finish line and the prize is a very coveted one. And that is to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. You and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are created by God to win this Christian race. To be winners in the Lord. To one day stand in eternity robed in righteousness, wearing a crown of glory, and blessed with eternal honors and rewards. Yes, life like a race is a challenging course because life itself is full of ups and downs, and life like a race has a judge and judges. Because we know that we know that Jesus is our judge, don't we? But most importantly, life is like a race because it has a finish line. When if successful, we may spend eternity with Christ. I ask the question, from a worldly perspective, what does it take to be a winner? Popular opinion suggests that, that intelligence is at the top of the list. The smarter you are, the more respect you receive, with wealth being the second. The more money you have, supposedly, the happier you will be. Let's compare that with, from God's perspective, what does it take to be a winner? And it's, it states in Ecclesiastics 9, verse 11, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, 
but time and chance happen to them all. You see, from God's perspective, winning is not based on speed, strength, intelligence, or wealth. Winning is based on our efforts to please God. The world view views people as successful if they are the best, number one, head of the class, but God is more concerned with us doing our best to honor him. Then if we want to win the Christian race and become spiritual champions, then we must do our best to please God. Let me quote an example. Perhaps some of us remember Derek Redman, who had dreamed all his life of winning a gold medal in the 400-meter race, and his dreams were in sight as he ran in the semifinals in Barcelona in 1992. Perhaps some of you remember this idea. He was running the race of his life and was nearing the finish line when all of a sudden he felt a sharp pain go up the back of his leg. He fell to his face on the track with a torn right hamstring. As the doctors were approaching, Redmond fought to his feet and began hopping towards the finish line. When he approached the stretch, a large man in a t-shirt came out of the stands, brushed away the guards on security, and ran to Redmond, embracing him. That was Jim Redmond, Derek's father. You don't have to do this, he told his weeping son. Yes, I do, said Derek. Well then, said Jim, we're going to finish the race together. And they did. Fighting off security men, the son's head sometimes buried in his father, father's shoulder. They stayed in Derek's lane all the way to the end as the crowd rose and clapped and wept. Derek didn't walk away with gold medal, but he was a winner because he did his best. My brothers and sisters, from God's perspective, winning is not based on being number one. We win when we do our best to please God, don't we? Now let's deal with the principles on how to win the Christian race. First of all, to win the Christian race, we must run with confidence and self-worth. We will never become a champion until we see ourselves as a champion. As Christians, we are champions and winners in the Lord. The Bible tells us how important we are in 1 John 3.1. And it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Yes, we are children of God. We are related to the creator of the world. We belong to a royal family. Unfortunately, though, some people walk around looking and acting like complete failures, don't they? 
They live defeated lives because they don't value themselves. They believe that they have too many flaws for God to love them. Speaking of flaws, have you ever noticed the pockmarks or dimples on a golf ball? Now this is getting pretty near, near and dear to my heart here. They make the ball look imperfect. So we asked, what is the purpose of the dimples? An aeronautical engineer who designed golf balls says that the perfectly smooth ball would travel 130 yards off the tee. But the right ball with the right kind of dimples will travel twice that far off the tee, 260 yards or even further. The professionals hit the golf ball over 300 yards now with, with ease. These apparent flaws minimize the ball's resistance and allow it to travel much farther. You know, I must have a problem. Dimples or no dimples, I can't get it to go over 130 yards. Most of us can quickly name the f physical characteristics we wish that we had been born without. It's difficult to imagine that these imperfections are there for a purpose and are part of God's master plan. Yet when the psalmist wrote of God's creative marvel and mood, he said to the Lord, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. If we only could accept our flaws and imperfections as God's master plans for us, what a difference we would, it would make on our outlook on life. The dimples we dislike may enable us to bring the greatest glory to our wise and loving creator. Who knows how to get the best out of our lives? What I'm trying to say is simply this. To win the Christian race, we must run with confidence. We must value ourselves, understand that we are special to God. We are worth a lot to him because we are his children. When we start valuing ourselves the way God values us, then we'll be on fire for the Lord. We will live passionate, spiritual lives and will be on the way to winning that Christian race. Another principle to winning the Christian race is that we must run with the right motivation. And the right motivation seems obvious in that we want to be in God's heavenly kingdom. However, one of the greatest motivating factors for living our lives for the Lord is the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15.10 reminds us, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace for me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. The apostle Paul was motivated to live his life and work life for God and work hard in serving Jesus Christ because of the grace of God, the Heavenly Father. To Paul, the greatest thing in all the world was the grace of God. 
and the fact that God loved him so much that God forgave his terrible sins, that God allowed him to follow and serve his son, that God allowed him to proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that Paul did all, and, and that Paul did, and all that Paul was, was by grace, the undeserved favor of God, and he himself declared, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So what is the grace of God? Simply put, the Bible says that the wages of death is sin. When we sin, we deserve death, but sin is an offense against God, and we must be punished. However, God had a plan to help us be forgiven for our sins. God mercifully sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to take away our sins. Paul says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because of our sins, we deserve spiritual death. However, Jesus died in our place so that we may live forever. Jesus gave his life to give us life. On August the 16th, 1987, Northwest Airlines flight number 225 crashed after takeoff from Detroit airport, killing 155 people. One survived, a four-year-old little girl from Arizona named Cecilia. Perhaps you remember this. News accounts say that when the rescuers found Cecilia, they didn't believe that she was on the plane. Investigators first assumed Cecilia had been a passenger in one of the cars on the highway on which the plane had crashed. But when passenger register for the flight was checked, there was Cecilia's name. Cecilia survived because even as the plane was falling, Cecilia's mother, Paula, unbuckled her own seatbelt, got down on her knees in front of her daughter, wrapped her arms and body around Cecilia, and then wouldn't let her go. Nothing could separate that child from her parents' love. Neither tragedy nor disaster, neither the fall nor the flames that followed, neither height nor depth, neither life or death. Such is the love of our Savior for us. He left heaven, lowered himself to us, and covered us with the sacrifice of his own body to save us. Why then should we not live our lives for God and follow his will? We should live our lives for God because he loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us on the cross to save us from our sins. The grace, the undeserved love that he shows us should motivate us to run the Christian race with all of our hearts. The last principle to running the Christian race is that we must turn 
setbacks into comebacks. In our lives, we will experience, experience setbacks. Some setbacks may be emotional, some may be physical, and some may be spiritual. When they come, we shouldn't be angry or bitter. Instead, we should turn these emotional setbacks into positive comebacks. We should keep in mind that the trials and tribulations that we experience in life are there to test us and enhance our faith. In times such as this, we should turn to the book of James 1 verse 4 and contemplate what it says. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives us all, gives to all liberally and without report, reproach, and it will be given to you, and it will be given to me. Our suffering develops perseverance, and perseverance builds maturity, and maturity builds character. Such suffering is designed to make us better people. Then how should we handle difficult times? Pray and believe that God is with us. In the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, we are to pray about all circumstances. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God will surpass, surpass all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Yes, we must give our problems to God in prayer and, in tr and trust in his own time and in, in his own way that he will help us. Choose to be joyful. A joyful attitude is essential when rebounding from setbacks. James says, count it with all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produced patience. I guess I could take a lesson from that too. Well, let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete. Lacking nothing, no matter what happens, we must never give up on our faith. Things will always get better. While doing some preparation for this, this talk, I came across an excerpt from the Review and Herald dated October 18, 1881, by, of course, Ellen G. White. I'd like to share this with you. It says, we must strive lawfully if we would win the boon of eternal life. The path is wide enough, and all who run the race may win the prize. Paul compares the followers of Christ to the competitors in a race. Now, says the apostle, apostle, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. Here, Paul makes a sharp contrast to, put, to shame the feeble efforts of professed Christians who plead for their selfish indulgences and refuse to place themselves by self-denial and strictly temperate habits in a position 
that they will make a success of overcoming. All who entered the list in the public games were animated and excited by the hope of a prize if they were successful. In like manner, a prize is held out before the Christian, the reward of faithfulness to end to the end of the race. If the prize is won, his future welfare is assured and exceeding an eternal weight of glory is in reserve for those who overcome. Shall then the followers of Christ with the attractions of the heavenly world before them grudge the self-denial and spare the effort needed to secure the imperishable crown? The Apostle Paul compares himself to, to a man running at the ancient race course and straining every nerve and muscle to win the prize. He did, he did not consider his work ended while he could labor for the cause of God. He never felt that he had graduated in the school of Christ, but he ever realized the necessity of strictly guarding his appetites and passions, lest they should so strengthen themselves as to overcome spiritual zest. He strove with all his power against natural inclinations, which called for unlawful indulgence. His own testimony was, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are above. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. It was only while he was on trial for his life, which depended on a word or a nod from the tyrant Nero, that he was aware that his end was nigh, that he broke forth in a lofty, elevated strains of triumphant assurance. And he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day. This crown is not a perishable chaplet of flowers, but the glorious crown of everlasting life which awaits all who have completing the Christian race, love the appearing of our Lord. In the running of a marathon race, there is great risk to our bodies. Some never recover from the physical pain. It was not unusual for runners to fall on the course, bleeding from the mouth and nose, and on occasion contestants would drop dead when they were about to receive the prize. Over a decade, a period from 2000 and 2000 to 2010 of marathon races, runners, 59 of those marathon runners had, a card, had cardiac arrest where the heart stops working and 42 of these runners died. This is, this is fact and historical. This means that in every 259,000 runners, there's one fatality. Church, 
in the heavenly race, we can all run and receive the prize without the risk of physical impairment. There is no uncertainty, no risk in the matter. We must put on the heavenly graces and with our eyes directed upward to the crown of mort mortality, immortality, keep the pattern ever before us. The humble, self-denying life of our divine Lord we are constantly to keep in view. And then as we seek to imitate him, keeping our eyes on the mark of the prize, we can run the race with certainty, knowing that if we do our best, we can certainly secure the prize. Let's remember the words of Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know that many runners enter a race and only one of them will win the prize. So let's run to win. Athletes work hard to win a crown that will not last. But we do it for a crown that will last forever. Amen. Amen.